0: for sharing your gift of music, and I don't know if you recognize that, that old, that classic hymn. Uh, it's called, The Love of God. Uh, it's greater far than man can tell. And uh, man, the words of that song are, are very poetic and beautiful, so if you ever have a chance to Google that, maybe uh, after church someday, <laughs> you can check it out. But God is good, amen? I don't know what your week has been like, what your state of heart or mind is like right now, but uh, it doesn't take much time on, uh, on the internet, on Google News, on CNN, or whatever, to realize that this world is in deep need of the love of God. Uh, man, <laughs> we don't need to go through a laundry list of current events. But the images that you see of refugees running here and there, not quite sure where to call home. And then people flocking here and there to to religious celebrities uh, that makes you wonder where people's loyalties really are. You know, all of these things really, um, this is a special time in which we live. There's no better time to come to Jesus. Friends, today we get to celebrate something very special that uh, here at Parkwood we do every three months. Uh, It's the foot washing and communion. It's a time in which we get to really make concrete and tangible our commitment to Jesus, and our desire for him to cleanse us. And so maybe you came here not expecting that. Maybe this is your first time here, and you're not quite even sure what that is. But I pray that God would really lead you in an experience of his love. Maybe you came by yourself, you're not sure, do I, do I have a partner, or will I have a partner? That's okay. There are others who are probably thinking the very same thing. <laughs> so we'll make this work today, and before we split into those special activities, I want to take some time to really study the word of God. Today what we're doing is, uh, it's the fourth part of a kind of a series that we stretched out over a couple of months. I hope that's okay. The last time we visited this mission-driven church series was actually at the beginning of the month. Uh, since then, I've, well, things have been different at home. <laughs> and so it's, uh, it's been a blessing to, um, to have some time out of the pulpit, but uh, to really be blessed at the home I don't know if you have a, had a chance yet to lay your eyes on little Jacob, but he's a pretty precious bundle of joy. <clears throat> what I want to do today is, um, is, is pray together before we open up the bread of life. So let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for the privilege we have as a people to know that you are the God who actually calls us to rest, who invites us to experience your presence in a way that's supposed to remind us of the Garden of Eden. And so today, Father, we want to be fully aware that this is your day and we are your people. God, as we come, hearts burdened, hearts eager, souls hungry for your word, we pray that you would satisfy us today. Lord, you said that if we opened our mouths wide, you would fill it. And so spiritually speaking, we are open up our hearts wide. Would you please fill them? Thank you so much for this word, that it's more than just ink on paper. As we open up these pages, please instruct us, inspire us, transform us. In Jesus' name, let the family say, amen, amen. amen. Take your Bible, if you will. If you don't have one, maybe there's one in the pew in front of you. We're going to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. This is where we were at the beginning of the month. As I said, this is the fourth part of our mission-driven church series. And maybe you're feeling like you're kind of left in the dark, you're not quite sure what parts one, two, and three were all about. Uh, Go ahead and log on to our website. You can listen to the, the recorded sermons there. But we're going to Ephesians chapter four. And last time we spoke, you know, over the last few weeks, we've been we've been talking about refreshing our mission. What are we really about? And if you see in the bulletin, our mission is, maybe you can say it with me, to reveal Jesus Christ to the world now in preparation for his soon return. Do you believe his return is soon? There's no better time to reveal Jesus than now. And if we're faithful in revealing Jesus in our relationships, if we're faithful to reveal Jesus, then truly we will realize what Parkwood has coined as our vision statement Maybe you've memorized that. Maybe you're still working on it. But in, in the bulletin, you'll find that our vision is to belong to Christ in a healthy church family where every member is valued and loved, thoroughly equipped and joyfully involved in linking others to Christ. And maybe that's a mouthful, but I want to really just kind of chew on that for a little bit. Last time when we were looking at Ephesians, we saw that Paul envisions uh, certain experiences for the church. And we saw that, number one, he envisions an experience of experiencing God's grace so much that we know, without a shadow of a doubt, that we belong to Jesus. You remember that? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, that we are accepted in the Beloved. And then in chapter 2 of Ephesians, he goes on to describe what this grace does, that it raises us from the dead, and it saves us, not of our own works, lest anyone should boast. Amen. And then we find, at the middle of Ephesians chapter 2, that Paul goes from this, this song about grace, and he says, this not just reconciles you to God, but this actually makes a new humanity. Do you remember that phrase? In Ephesians chapter 2, he says, the two that were were separate, they are now made one. He has made peace. He has broken down every wall, every barrier, every distinction, every rub, every tension, everything he has made into one. And that's saving grace. It's so amazing that in Ephesians chapter 3, what Paul does is he sings about it. He literally sings about it. And he realizes that this love of God, this grace of God is so amazing that he needs to pray that people get it. (laughs) In Ephesians chapter 3, he has this prayer starting in 3, verse 14 through 17. He prays, Lord, help the people to comprehend how great your love really is. Sometimes I think that we have no clue. We have no clue what love truly is. God's grace is so amazing. And I pray that we would make that our own prayer. That here at Parkwood, we would know what God's grace is. That it would make us belong to Jesus. And it would actually make us belong to Jesus in a healthy church family. These are the two experiences that we discussed at the beginning of the month. And now we're going to take a look at Ephesians chapter 4. So if you're there, go ahead and say, Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, because here after three chapters of theological epiphanies and just sing-songs and and just uh, wonderment, Paul now gets to a very practical edge. I don't know if you've ever read through the book of Ephesians, but the first three chapters, you have no idea where the sentence ends. Have you ever noticed that? When you're reading through Ephesians, you're like, Paul, what are you saying? Oh, man, whoa, whoa, slow down. And here in chapter 4, there's a transition where Paul goes from this theological loftiness to ethical practicality, all right? So notice in Ephesians chapter four, verse one, what are the first two words? He says, I therefore, okay? So in view of everything that we have just discussed, in view of all this theological greatness, he gets to this first appeal. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to do what? To walk worthy of, of the calling with which you were called. He's calling for a certain lifestyle. He's not calling for a certain walk, you know. He's calling for a lifestyle. He's calling for a conduct of life. But he says that you would walk, what was the next word? Worthy. Worthy. Very interesting. In the Greek, it comes from a verbal idea of actually um, making, like if you imagine a scale, when you make something worthy, you're matching this scale. If you imagine a scale with two sides, You've got some some heavy material over here and this side you want to put something in it to make it match. Paul is calling us to to know what you've been called to, that you've been called to belong to Jesus in a healthy church family and now he's saying, now make your life match to that calling. Do you realize that God dreams dreams for you and I? (laughs) He dreams that you and I would belong to Jesus. Jesus. He dreams that we will belong to him in a healthy church family. But God's dreams are more than just pie in the sky and wishful thinking. God's dreams are dreams to be lived out and walked in. Can you say amen to that? And Paul knows that and says, okay, let's get practical. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. And so here's what we're going to do over the next few moments here as we study the rest of chapter 4, we're going to find two priorities at the heart of this new humanity. We're going to find two weights, if you will, okay? Two, two weighty principles that God wants to embed in the scale of our hearts to make us match the high calling of belonging to Christ in a healthy church family. Are you ready for it? Yeah? All right, if, you, if you're a note taker, go ahead and grab your uh, blank piece of paper, get your pens moving. And here is weighty principle number one, weighty principle number one, that makes for a new humanity. It's unity. It's unity. Weighty principle number one, unity is at the heart of this new humanity. In other words, there is something that Paul is going to get to about the relational quality of this new community. He's going to get to the, the relational and emotional dynamics of what it means to belong to a healthy church family. And here are the first two things that he gets to. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, he says this, with all lowliness and gentleness. So what is it that makes for humanity? Excuse me, what is it that makes for unity, according to Paul? The first two things, lowliness and what else? Gentleness. Now, let's admit, lowliness and gentleness, they kind of get a bad rap, right? Right? They kind of, they're, they're seen as traits of weakness in the eyes of this world. But in the eyes of Christ, this is true greatness. I would suggest that lowliness is not self-deprecation, but it's others' appreciation. And I would suggest that gentleness is not a sign of weakness, but it's, it's a sign of strength that's held in reserve. Something that we tell Jaden, who is all boy, you know, all two and a half years of boy, Something that we have to remind him about is that his hands were made for helping, not for hurting. You see, gentleness, Christ-like gentleness, is strength that is used in the right way. And so what is it that makes for, humi- what is it that makes for unity? It's lowliness and gentleness, he says. And then notice the next phrase, with long-suffering. <laughs> That's the opposite of being short-suffering, That's the opposite of being short-fused, short-tempered. Maybe your version says, with patience. Why? Because to be all lowly and all gentle, and to do it all the time, requires great patience. And he goes on, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another, holding one another up in, what's the last word there, verse 3? Excuse me, verse 2. In love, in love. You notice, gentleness, love, that, that, that those things come from another list. It's a list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. In other words, what Paul is getting at is, be filled with the Spirit, guys. <laughs> be filled with the Spirit. This idea of unity, it's only the product of the Spirit at work in our lives. And notice what it goes on to. Actually, it's, it's emphasized, it's underscored in verse 3. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit In the bond of peace, this unity is a oneness. It's a God-given harmony. That word unity is only used one other time in Scripture. That's in in chapter 4, verse 13. Right here, Paul is actually hitting on something that is completely unique. He's talking about a unity that is God-given. It's a oneness of heart and mind that only the Spirit can produce. And in verse 13, it's actually the unity of the faith. It's only what the Spirit can produce, and it's only as we trust Him. To produce it. So it says in verse three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That phrase, endeavoring, actually, it, it, it refers to um, a diligence that is speedy, a diligence that doesn't waste any time to get about doing something. Maybe you've had that, that struggle where you give somebody instructions to do something and you expect it to be done right away, yeah? When someone is speedy about doing it, they're endeavoring. They're they're making all effort to do it. But according to this verse, what are they endeavoring? What are they speedy to do? According to verse 3, they're speedy or they're endeavoring to keep the unity. Keep. In other words, to preserve, to guard, or to protect. What are the things that you keep? Things that are precious to you? Things that might threaten to be damaged or lost? Do you realize, friends, that unity is precious to us? Do you realize that unity is precious to God? And he's actually calling us to keep it. To keep it. Why? Because he knows that it's under attack. Am I the only one that knows that, <laughs> has seen that on the, on the personal level? Uh, do you sense that your, your unity, your unity in relationships, whether in the household or in the household of faith, that these are things that are constantly under attack? Man, just, just this week, just this week, I, 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 as I was preparing for this message, I thought it was really ironic <laughs> that some of the things, uh, the, the relational dynamics that I was struggling with were exactly what Paul is talking about here. Preserve it, and don't let the sun go down on it. Be hasty, be speedy about guarding and protecting that unity. Protect it and guard it from other things that would threaten it. And what are those other things? Basically the opposites of what he's just been talking about. The opposite of lowliness, pride. The opposite of gentleness, harshness. The opposite of long-suffering, (laughs) short-suffering. Whatever, guard against those things. Why? Because they're going to eat away at your sense of unity. It's gonna take the scale up. God wants to embed unity within our hearts. And he says, keep it, preserve it, because Satan is always attacking it. Do you follow it today? Yes or no? Yeah? And so this unity is something to keep in the new humanity. We ought to be eager. And speedy in preserving it. And I, I picture Jesus in the upper room. You know, as he's gathered around with his 12 disciples for probably the last time. He knows that he is speedy about guarding and preserving unity. And how does he do it? How does he do it? Does he get up and get on the highest step and say, You guys ought to know better by now. No, what does he do? In all lowliness and gentleness. He washes their feet. Wow, do you follow today? Jesus knows how to keep and preserve unity, and he's calling each and every one of us to do the same. The theological basis of this unity is found in the next few verses. In verse 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, there's a list that Paul starts. It's a list of seven ones. Watch. Verse 4 there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Were you counting the ones? There's seven of them. Seven, a the number of completeness. He's saying, whoa, 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 this unity has its basis in God. <laughs> this unity is something that that God himself provides for. It's God himself that that makes happen, and we're all on the same team. (laughs) We each belong to God. We each are called by God. We each have access to the same grace of God in the family of God. We're all on the same team. Amen? when we're all on the same team, that means that each of us, if it's God's team, each of us has infinite value and love from the Father of all. And so here we are, just kind of step back to our vision statement, that we would belong to Christ in a healthy church family where every member is valued and loved. Why can we say that? Because every member is part of the family of God. Everybody has a seat at his table amen. And so that's weighty principle number one. Weighty principle number one at the heart of the new humanity is unity. All right, you ready for principle number two? Weighty principle number two at the heart of new humanity is ministry. Ministry. In the next verse, notice what the very first word of verse seven is. Ephesians chapter four, verse seven. The first word is what? But, whoa, 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 okay, there's a switch around here. <laughs> Paul is kind of making sure that in this scheme of, hey, everybody's on the same team, we're all part of the same family, he wants to make sure that we don't lose sight of individuality. And so he says, but to each one, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Are you thankful for the grace of God today? Amen. Amen. He's talking about a grace that's according to the measure of Christ's gift. And we've talked about this in the past. The measure of Christ's gift. uh, The metric that's used to measure out grace to you and I is according to the measure of Christ's gift. How small or large was the gift of Christ? There is nothing greater that he could give. (laughs) And so to each one of you, that same grace has been measured with the infinite measuring spoon of Christ's sacrifice. That's amazing grace. And it's been given, yes, it's been given to all, and Paul wants us to know, it's been given to each one. In this, uh, you know, in all the talk about unity and, and striving for oneness, the healthy family does not lose sight of individuality. And this isn't the kind of individuality that makes someone a superstar. This isn't the kind of worldly individuality that makes someone an American idol. This is God-given individuality that makes somebody fit for ministry. Did you just follow that? This kind of individuality is not self-serving and self-seeking. This kind of individuality that God has gifted us with is actually not for your sake. It's for someone else's sake. In other words, what Paul is going to describe here is that God gives us not just saving grace, he gives us serving grace. Did you know that? What are we talking about here? In verse 7 it says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then down in verse 11 he's starting to identify or, or articulate what some of these gifts are. In verse 11, what did he give? Chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, And he himself gave some to be, what? Apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. What we're talking about here are spiritual gifts. What God has given to each one of us is not just saving grace. He has given to each individual serving grace. And that's grace that is measured according to the infinite sacrifice of Christ. Some of you, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever gotten this mode of thought where you kind of compare yourself to someone else, and you're like, oh man, I am just not gifted in that area just like they are. Or, I, I wish I, I had this spiritual gift. Or, how come they got ten and I got one? You know, <laughs> what kind, whatever thoughts kind of roll through your mind. But here's the thing. Whatever God has gifted you with, It's according to the infinite measure of Christ's gifts, And we cannot underestimate that. And here's what Paul does. He he makes this list of of examples. You know, uh, in verse 11, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And then he, in verse 12, he notes the purpose for those gifts. I don't know, maybe some of you, you look at verse 11, you're like, well, my gifts aren't there. (laughs) You know, you, you, this is kind of a short list of spiritual gifts. It's a short list of spiritual gifts that kind of focus on the leadership roles. You know, the upfront roles, the, the evangelist, the, the, the pastor, teacher, the apostle, whatever. But here's what, what Paul is saying. These upfront roles, they have a very specific function. It's not to take the sum or totality of ministry. It's actually to equip everyone for ministry. Follow his thought. Verse 12. The first word in my Bible, New King James, it says for, or in view of, or with with eyes to accomplish, what? The equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, there again, I'm I'm just not a saint. No, no, no. (laughs) Here's the thing. Saint is one who is called set apart by God. If you have received grace, you've been set apart by grace. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, just read it again. Oh man, grace has raised us up from the dead and has seated us on heavenly places in Christ. You are a saint in the most biblical sense of the term when you've received God's grace. And so these leadership roles of verse 11, they're for the purpose of equipping or, or furnishing or properly adjusting and aligning and, and putting things in their right fit for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Ministry is at the heart of the new humanity. See, uh, when you look back at our, um, our vision statement to belong to Christ in a healthy church family where every member is valued and loved, excuse me, valued and loved. Thoroughly equipped and joyfully involved in linking others to Christ. That that last phrase is not just something that's snuck in there just to keep everybody busy. No, That last phrase is is not just a tag to say, oh no, we got to be productive in some way. No, no, no. Here's the thing. Ministry is actually part and parcel to our identity as belonging to Christ. Or Maybe I should say it this way. Part of the unique value that each each one of us possesses is the unique value that each one of us contributes. Yes, you are uniquely loved. Yes, you are uniquely valuable, and God has made you belong to Christ. And part of that unique value is manifested in your unique contribution to the body of Christ. And what all of this accomplishes, actually, if you notice, in verse 13, it reacts upon. When everybody finds their fit, it actually reacts upon the health of the family. It reacts upon and strengthens the unity of the family. In verse 13, it says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So so here, Paul is actually starting to list the results of what happens when we find our fit in ministry, when each one of us finds our fit in ministry, not just some of us, not just the spiritual giants or the spiritual experienced or the spiritually elite, but each one of us. What happens? Well, A, we all come to the unity of the faith. It's, It's edifying. It's building up for the body of Christ. And then in verse 14, we see another result. That we should no longer be what? Children. Nothing, to, nothing wrong about childhood. The only thing wrong about it is when we stay there. Do you follow, yes or no? There's nothing wrong with spiritual infancy. We need to be reborn, praise God. The only problem is when we stay there. And so here's the thing. Saving grace makes us reborn. Reborn. Serving grace causes us to grow. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, and then verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning of craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, verse 15, may grow up, did you catch it? May grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So one of the results of finding our fit in ministry, one of the results of finding our fit in ministry is experiencing spiritual maturity. How many of you long to grow in Christ? (laughs) I'm thankful that God gives us a restart. I'm thankful that he's patient with the process of learning to walk in a spiritual sense. And I'm thankful that he actually grows us to spiritual maturity. He knows how to do it. And he does it by gifting us for ministry. It's powerful. That's powerful. And the implication is this, that when we don't find our fit in ministry, we actually halt our spiritual growth. Do you realize that? Or maybe another way to say it is, if we really want to grow up to be like Christ, we cannot sever saving grace from serving grace. And so here we are. That's why a healthy church family has two weighty principles, making it match the calling of being a healthy church family. Number one, unity. Number two, ministry. Yes, value and love one another and demonstrate the value and love you uniquely contribute through your ministry. So what are the, what are the practical takeaways here as we see these, these two principles of unity in ministry? Simple question is, what weighty priority do you long for? What weighty priority to, do you long for God to recalibrate in your heart today? Is it unity? Maybe you're feeling the need for enduring loneliness, not just loneliness sometimes, but enduring loneliness. Maybe you're you're struggling to view or treat others as part of the same team or family. Maybe you're realizing that you haven't been speedy in guarding the sustaining bond of peace, whether in your own household or in your household of faith. If you're longing for that priority of unity to be more weighty in your life, then here's what I would suggest. Number one, ask God for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We saw it. It's the unity that's of the Spirit, it's the unity that, that thrives on gentleness and love, but those are things that are only the fruit. Of the Spirit. Open up your lives. Give Him direct, intentional permission to say, Jesus, you've got to do it. I don't feel like enduring in lowliness right now. <laughs> Please give me your Spirit. Ask God for the outpouring of the Spirit. Only His presence can bring about the relational transformation that's needed, day by day, to guard and protect unity. Ask for, him, ask for His Spirit in your home. Ask for His Spirit in your workplace. Ask for, your spirit, for God's Spirit in your classroom. Ask for God's Spirit in your marriage. Ask for your God's Spirit as you relate to your kids, whether they're young or old. Ask for God's Spirit in your church. The other thing I would suggest, if unity is the weighty principle that you need strengthening, I would say identify that first bond of peace that is not at peace. <laughs> Identify that critical relationship that you're realizing, oh, the ligaments are stretching right now. And I need to be speedy about attending to that. Whether it's in the family or in the broader church family, and I would encourage you today not to wait, but practice the lowliness and gentleness that Jesus calls for. Practice the humility that breeds unity, and even practice it today after we split from here by washing one another's feet practice it. Find that bond of peace that's struggling. Be speedy. Find that partner right now, today. Maybe this was totally out of your mind uh, one hour ago, but now it is. The Holy Spirit's bringing it to you. Practice it today. All right, so maybe maybe it's not the unity weight that's needing strengthening in your life. Maybe it's the ministry weight. Maybe you're wondering how in the world Uh, how do I find my fit in ministry? Maybe you're sensing that you've enjoyed saving grace, but you've been neglecting serving grace. Maybe you're desiring to mature. You want to grow beyond your spiritual infancy. And if that's you, I would simply say this. Pray, again, pray for, for direction. Pray for discernment of God's design for you in ministry. Pray for it. God will reveal it when you ask him. And I would also say this, involve yourself, involve yourself in the ministries of this church and beyond, but go beyond just involving yourself via attendance. Involve yourself by asking those who are leading out and saying, hey, how can I support? How can I help? How can I be part of the team? I'd be happy to give answers to that question. No, no, no. Uh, Our cross trainer is here. She is here to be a a trainer of churches that reach out to serve and save. That's what cross stands for. You know, talk to Heidi. Talk to myself. Talk to our elders. Talk to the Sabbath school leader that you attend. Talk to the ministry that you're involved in. Talk to the ministry that you have no idea what it is, but you happen to have opening during the schedule for that. You know, whatever it is, talk to that leader and say, how can I be part of the team? So involve yourself beyond attendance. And let this foot washing and communion today be almost like a, uh, like a dedication service for you. <laughs> a tangible token saying, yes, I'm, I'm going to be part of the team. I'm going to be part of the team. And let your commitment be acted out through the foot washing and communion. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I hope somebody found something that they can latch on to today. Whether it's unity or ministry that needs to be strengthened in your life, God wants to match your scale with the high calling and saying, look, we have the privilege of belonging to Christ in a healthy church family. That's where I want to be. Is that where you want to be? Amen. Amen. In just a few moments, what we're going to do is we're going to pray, and then we're going to encourage you to find a partner. Maybe you don't have a partner. Go to the room where where you might find your partner. (laughs) Okay, so we have a couple of different options here. Over here to my left, this committee room will be used for gentlemen, brothers who want to partner up with brothers. Okay to wash each other's feet. Um, If you go down the breezeway here to the kindergarten Sabbath classroom, that'll be open for families and couples who want to experience this strengthening of the unity in their household, okay? And then in Bellamin Hall, sisters, partner up with another sister, all right? And so this is what we're doing. We're just allowing this to be a concrete moment where we commit ourselves to unity and to ministry. And so let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father in heaven, We thank you so much that you've given us this picture of of what grace actually looks like in the life. And Lord, I I just pray that you would cause us to not just comprehend this grace, but that you would cause us to experience this grace today and every day. Lord, I pray for the time in which we get to spend uh, washing one another's feet Maybe meeting somebody new or reconciling an old relationship. Lord, I pray that you would be fully present. That your Holy Spirit would produce the unity that only you can produce. That you would strengthen our call to ministry. And Father, when we come back together here to to partake of the, the bread and the juice, Lord, I pray that you would just really charge our hearts. Cleanse our hearts. And make us ready to receive your presence in full. In Jesus' name, let the family say, Amen.